Kuen Nguyen Hong is a writer, translator and art curator born in Vietnam. Her poems and translations have appeared in Poetry Magazine, Jacket 2, The Margins and various literary anthologies. She is a Stanford University graduate, a 2020 Penheim Translation Grant recipient and a winner of the Winter-Spring 2022 Gabo Prize for Literature in Translation. She is pursuing a PhD at Stanford University. The novel Chronicles of a Village is set in an anonymous Vietnamese village based on the author's personal memories. Written in vibrant fragments that resemble prose poems, the novel combines the author's melodious style of oral storytelling with historical micro-narratives and mythological elements. The book takes the reader through ancient legends, love stories, nature, war tragedies and modern alienation which constitute the beauty and the fatal historical disabilities of a land. In this episode, Quinn spoke about her rendition of Chronicles of a Village, translated from Vietnamese, written by one of the most prominent writers, Guyen Than Hain. You may give the feedback on this episode using the link given in the show notes or through the Spotify app. Kuyen, uh, uh, welcome to our podcast, Harshneem. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. You are a writer, translator and uh, curator. Uh, tell us about uh, your art curation and uh, do writing and curation influence each other at any time? Hmm, curation. I think writing and curation for me, the thing that they have in common is that maybe they, their practices that sharpen my intuition for the kind of art and literature and ways of being that I, that I like and that I want to, to embody in the world. So in Vietnam, when I work as the curator, um, usually at galleries or art organizations um, in Saigon uh, or Hanoi. Um, I think I find it most meaningful when I curate my close friends' artworks of all kinds of, of media. Um, and also, of course, works by, by artists that I like, uh, usually in Vietnam or Southeast Asia. Um, and there are works that move me in a very strong and often quite uncanny way. Uh, and there are not that many of them really. I'm quite picky when I curate the artworks that I want to show. And it's very similar with my writing and translating. I try to be quite careful about the kind of questions I want to write into or the kind of authors or texts that I want to translate. Um, so ideally, I want to let these works um, come to me and, and choose me and move me um, and, of course, eventually change me somehow. Good translators are good curators of literature, I feel. <laughs> you curate the work for us. I hope so. What drew you to literature? My mother was a great uh, reader. Uh, and so was her father, so my maternal grandfather, uh, who was 
an editor at a revolutionary publishing press in Vietnam during the war in Hanoi. Uh, and there was a shortage of, of books and of course everything else because it was wartime. Um, but this publishing house, um, aside from its store of all kinds of Marxist, mm-hmm. Leninist, um, documents, they had a great library. So my mother was able to, to have access to a lot of great books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by the time she was a teenager, um, she had read all of the great Chinese and Russian novels that she could find there in Vietnamese translation, of course. Um, so she naturally gave me a lot of books when I was a child. Um, and she studied Japanese, uh, in translation in college. And my grandfather also, um, translated some literature while I was working as an editor. So we're just a family of geeks, I suppose, and who have a lot of love for, for literature and language. Which is your uh, first work in translation, published work of translation? And how did you get into translation? I think the, one of the first short stories I translated and got published was called uh, A Dream by Zhuang Yimou, who was a great um, 20th century Vietnamese writer. Um, and it was commissioned by a friend of mine uh, for a magazine called Words Without Borders, wonderful magazine for, for those who love translation. Um, so I started out translating mostly short poems, um, either of mine or, you know, my friends, um, or, you know, writers in, in the Vietnamese literary canon, uh, or short stories, um, and Chronicles of a Village, uh, was my first uh, translation in book form. Can you tell us about uh, your favorite authors? I really love the work of uh, Nhat Thuyen, who's a great a friend and teacher of mine. And she's an excellent contemporary Vietnamese poet, um, working mostly in Vietnamese. Um, but gosh, her Vietnamese is so beautiful and careful and, and loving and nurturing. And it's the kind of Vietnamese that, that carries and, and hides also a lot of pain with a lot of delicacy so i admire her work a lot and she also has a very deep and piercing understanding of how important translation is because she translates english language literature into vietnamese um a lot of writers in vietnam actually do um as a country it's a there's a great readership for international literature so and my friend um who writes in vietnamese usually has a work um, translated into English by uh, a very wonderful translator uh, called Caitlin Rees, who's now based in New York, who works very closely with her. So, yeah, Tuyen and Caitlin are, I think, a wonderful translator, writer-translator duo. They're both great friends of mine, and I, I read their works um, with so much love and admiration. So you mean to say... Mm, the, the translations from Vietnamese to English, it's very vibrant. There are a lot of translations are going on right now from Vietnamese to English. 
I think there is there are more and more translations from Vietnamese into English now, but uh, I think there it's the number is still quite low. Of course, uh, as I mentioned to you, a lot of world literature gets translated into Vietnamese, and so the Vietnamese market is is full of you know non Vietnamese literature translated into Vietnamese. Um, but because of the dynamics of the market. Uh, you know, in the world literature scene, there's not been, so far, there's not been a lot of Vietnamese literature translated into English. But I think that's going to change soon. So are there any small presses which are focusing on Vietnamese to English literature, either in back in Vietnam or in USA? The scene that I know best is, is in Vietnam because that's where I'm based. Uh, there's a press called Ajar Press. Uh, run by again Nhat Huyen, this writer that I've mentioned a few times in this podcast so far. So she and Caitlin, uh, her translator, uh, co-run this uh, small independent press in Vietnam, and they translate uh, and publish a lot of um, contemporary Vietnamese poets and and writers um, from Vietnamese into English, and it's really a labor of love because they don't earn any money from this kind of work. Um, and I really admire the endurance um, and persistence that they have to, to do this kind of work. Now, the author of this particular novel, The Chronicles of Village, Nguyen Tan Han, could you talk about his work in detail? He's quite a, an introverted writer, so that's why it, it's a bit hard to find his bio online I suppose um, but he's very incredibly prolific and as you saw online he's written a lot of novels and poems and epic poems and he's also done a lot of translation um, from English into Vietnamese um, so for those who don't know he's a contemporary Vietnamese writer um, based in Vietnam has lived his whole life in Vietnam he was born in 1940s, so really he belongs to my grandparents' generation, actually. Uh, and he works mostly as a novelist and, and poet. And his work is considered um, quite experimental in Vietnam, so it has difficulty getting published. So actually, he self-publishes all of his works in Vietnamese on his website. And he makes everything accessible and free for everyone, which I think... Is, is quite a remarkable act, especially in a day and age when a lot of artistic and literary works are so easily and quickly, you know, commodified and packaged into a product so that it accrues value. But but this author, he's he's really quite a gem because he just shares everything that he writes on his website um, for free, and he welcomes all kinds of readers. We have a writer in Tamil, one great writer we have, world-class writer in my opinion, one Mr. J. Mohan. He does the same and he's a prolific writer. He wrote one 25,000-page novel. Wow. And uh, only recently his uh, works, they started getting translated into English. Now, so One of them, Stories of the True, is long-listed for uh, Alta Award recently. So he distributes his work freely online. Mm, very similar. Mm-hmm. 
what of all his body of work why did you choose this particular novel to translate well like most of my translations the work came to me really i didn't really choose it um so my friend a friend of mine connected me to the author um and it was actually one of his students who suggested that i translate this particular work just because he had just finished it at the time and it was the most fresh um so i read it i read it in manuscript and i liked it and i had just graduated from college at the time and having nothing better to do i just went ahead and and translated the whole thing uh, without a publishing contract or any slightest idea about you know the publishing process you know i, I never you know knew that one could even have a career um out of doing this um yeah so so it really came to me and i'm glad that it's now shared with um with readers beyond my small circle but it it was just a kind of a passion project so how did it uh, get published then again through friends uh, i think penguin southeast asia was uh getting set up a few years ago and they were just seeking writers and translators who would fit their portfolio i suppose um and so a friend of mine just just connected me to um to the editor um so they they read the translation manuscript and and liked it and 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 took a chance on it which i'm really grateful for so i guess the key is just to be connected to to friends who have these connections because i really was an outsider um in the literary um industry and marketplace you know i was just kind of winging it <laughs> as i went along okay now coming to the novel what we get in india about vietnam is uh, through hollywood films mostly right <laughs> when you come to this particular novel there are a lot of references to some historical and political events right for example he talks about uh, french colonialism and the dynasty rule even uh, influence of communism can you brief us about these events that occurred in chronologically a very brief and bare sketch i suppose so a lot of vietnamese would tell you that um the vietnamese belong to the northern rule as in the chinese imperialist rule uh for a thousand years so that's that's roughly the first millennium after um ad i suppose um so that's kind of the significant uh part of our history and of course there's the 100 years of french colonialism between the 19th and 20th century followed by the american war or the vietnam war as it's uh, known in in english um and of course throughout the years there there's so many internal struggles between different rules and political parties and dynasties and ideologies and of course there's the famous rise of of communism uh, in, in the 20th century and all of these are briefly touched on in chronicles of a village but usually in a fleeting or subtle way i suppose um within he is the kind of author who can be quite direct in his political commentary or, or or critiques but not in this work and i think i especially liked chronicles of a village when i first read it because it 
it has this sort of background, this undercurrent of political pain um, and heaviness. But then it's it's also about so many other things like love stories and fables and mythologies. Uh, you have different chapters in the novel. If the reader wants, each chapter can be read as a separate short story. So this structure that you mentioned, uh, perhaps a kind of structureless structure, I would say, I think comes quite naturally to the author, actually, because he, uh, if you follow his Facebook, uh, he's no longer now quite active, but he used to post every day his writings on his Facebook. And each day, the post would resemble a lot these um these fragments that you see in Chronicles of a Village. So every day he sort of has his, you know, own reflection put together into a kind of fragmentary piece of writing. And over time, they just sort of connect uh, because it, it came out of him, the coherence of, of the, the internal coherence of the author comes through. Um, and I think he also, he unconsciously did it, but I think he also deliberately performs this kind of writing because he wants to make, you know, his own form of the novel. So as you mentioned, the novel is usually defined by uh, Western norms of narrative, I suppose. Like, you know, you have chapters, you have very linear plot lines, you have very sharp, well-contoured characters. And I think he wanted to subvert some of that. So he just wrote the way that he thought and spoke every day. So when you read his, his book, there's a very clear quality of oral literature. It really sounds like a man telling you about his life uh, in an almost casual and unrefined way, but actually still very delicate um, and, and, and refined in an unrefined way, I guess. What seems like a lot of digressions or just random anecdotes so there's no kind of clear plot or, you know, immense realist descriptions like you would see in a Euro-American novel. But I liked it. It has a quality of freedom, I think. Now, the prose in the novel in many places, uh, it's very poetic, actually. It sounds like poetry. You also have done a lot of translation work, uh, which is involving poetry. I think for me, the strongest moments in Wintenghien's work um, are his poetic turns of language. Um, some of his unfinished sentences could be so full of lightness and romance and also such a deep and visceral connection to the earth and also the sky and all these godly and mundane forces that govern our lives. Um, his writings really embody this, uh, this way of, of mythological or I guess mythopoetic thinking that I really cherish. Um, it definitely references real historical facts and figures and documents, uh, but then a lot of references are also entirely fictional. Um, and so there's his writing is is a kind of i think being in the world that's always suspended as you say between dream and reality 
between the real and the surreal, between the historical um, and the fabled, between the living and the dead. All of these mixed voices are always floating in the atmosphere. And I think it's a beautiful way of being to, to, to be able to navigate um, all, all of these oppositional forces. And personally, I just gravitate towards poetry. don't know why. Um, I write it sometimes, or I write things that are eventually called poetry sometimes. And I like to translate Vietnamese poetry whenever I have the capacity and capaciousness of mine to do it. How many days uh, it took you to finish this uh, translation? My process is usually to get the first draft done quite quickly. I just want to... to have something like a rough block of sculpture to work with so the first draft took me maybe only a couple of months um and i i just worked you know on and off like not really consistently but then the revision took years really um and then i also kind of forgot about the manuscript for a while until one day you know my friend connected me to the publisher um Penguin Southeast Asia, and I began again to to do another like ten sets of revisions. So for me, it's the revision that's the more arduous and time consuming process, and that can definitely take years. One recurring theme in the novel, so author keeps talking about uh, rice and fabric. Yes, um, so rice and fabric is. A literal, uh, really translation of, uh, the term gum ao in, in Vietnamese. So gum is rice and ao is, uh, garments or the things you wear, a shirt, for example. Um, and, you know, rice and fabric worries, uh, are a kind of, you know, idiomatic phrase in Vietnamese that, uh, mean, uh, the kind of practical concerns like, you know, bills or economic gains and losses in our everyday life, how to financially support your family, let's say quotidian maintenances, basically all kinds of numerical and quantitative abstractions around money um, that one has to, to take care of. And in the novel, this term rise in fabric uh, worry refers particularly to the common worry that farmers have to, to deal with, um, like how their crops are doing, how the harvest turns out this year, how long the rain or the dry season is going to last. Will my family have enough rice to eat this week? Will my children have new shirts to wear for the new school year? Things like that. Um, and these mentions in the book, I think, are important because they remind us not to romanticize the life of peasants and, and poets, uh, because these very intimate and very intense worries are there all the time. In the uh, afterward, you mentioned uh, the scent of the original and uh, bringing it into translation. A tonality, I understand, in a particular translation, bringing the same tonality and voices of each. Uh, characters I understand. What exactly is the scent that you mentioned about? 
<laughs> I wanted to think of language and translation as an atmospheric zone, hence the idea of a scent. So an emotional and atmospheric zone, and also a zone of the senses. So language and translation and words really are just a kind of air that you take in with your inhalation, with your senses, and not just with your eyes and your intellect. And of course, it's very impossible to replicate a perfume, a scent, uh, in a new language. Um, a Vietnamese perfume can can never be repeated as an English language aroma. A translation is all about trying to do this difficult thing of recreating something you smell somewhere, and then recreating it and remaking it as a new flavor, a new presence in a new tongue. Nativity, the word, can that be a, a close approximation of scent that you are talking about? I think that depends on the reader. I think if that's the effect that you feel, perhaps. But I think, you know, nativity or or foreignness is really subjective. You know, something that feels native to someone can feel completely alien to someone else. Um, and things can be quite, you know, native and unnative at the same time. So I hesitate to say that a scent or a perfume or an aroma can represent the nativity of a place. But you're correct in saying that some like things that define the essence of a person or land um, or the indigeneity of, of an object, a, a being... Sometimes it, it's just a scent. It's just a, a kind of energy or an atmosphere. And that's the hardest thing to translate because it's so ineffable. Right. It's so hard to put into words. Do you have any preference for the kind of work that you want to take up in the future for translations in terms of themes or in terms of structure? Again, I try to let the works come to me, uh, either through friends, recommendations, or just pure chance, I guess. So I try not to have a prescribed set of preferences or expectations. But definitely, I think something that carries poetry, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but in what form, I, I don't know. I try not to know. You try not to know. That's an interesting answer. Now, finally, um, what are the projects that you are currently working on? And with your PhD and all that, uh, will you have time to work on translations at all? Yeah, that's that's the that's the question for me right now because I have so many <laughs> obligations with the university. Uh, but again, when I have the the largeness of mine to take on translation. I, I try to do it. I'm working on a collection by Han Maktu, uh, who was a Vietnamese Catholic poet and an almost unbearably romantic one. And I think he wrote some of the most gorgeous pieces of Vietnamese modern poetry uh, in the 20th century. And it's very hard to translate, but it keeps my soul alive. So I, I return to, to my manuscript whenever I can 
to get a, a fresh flow of um, vitality, I suppose. I also have a collection of my own writings that I'm always working on when I'm, you know, when I can't deal with my PhD requirements anymore. So they're all kind of um, in poet at the moment, but they're really important to me. So we'll see what happens with these pieces of writings. Um, they might never be published, but, but that's all right. <laughs> I think poetry keeps me alive, you know, and that's the greatest gift already. Okay, all the best for your future and for your PhD and your translations. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs>